Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, welcome back to another conversation here uh, with the photography industry at large. And, and I'm here with a new friend of mine, Talon Paul. Talon, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast listeners. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And, and you and I were actually just chatting about this before I hit the record button. But uh, one of the things that I'm already excited about regarding our conversation is that I want to bring the perspective of newer photographers to the industry to, uh, well, to Boca. Because, you know, it, it's easy if you listen to photography podcasts or just podcasts in general, there's a tendency to, to go to the celebrity or go to the person with all the experience in the world. But what I've learned, especially being a parent, actually, um, you know, I, I have a little bit more experience in life than my kids do. But what I find is, despite their lack of experience, my kids have a wonderful perspective and I can learn from them. And, and I'm not trying to, to compare my, uh, you to, to a child, to be clear. Uh, but what I, <laughs> my point, very simply, is that, that um, lack of experience doesn't necessarily mean lack of wisdom. And um, so I'm, I'm really excited to be able to share your perspective on photography, a little bit of your journey in the photographic industry. And then we're going to talk about an interesting topic a little bit later on that I think we can all relate to in some form or fashion. That is the topic of procrastination. And uh, so we'll get to that here in just a little bit. But to get us started, uh, something that we normally start with at the podcast is something that I call the technique for time. And this podcast is very much focused on encouraging efficiency in the photography business for the sake of having more freedom, more flexibility in our lives. And so I'm curious if there is something that you do in your workflow regularly to create more time, more freedom for yourself. Absolutely. And that is, I use a calendar. Always schedule out my my days and like pretty much every hour is planned out. And I use Google Calendar and um, especially during the school year, I'll have my classes, my work schedules, my photo gigs, everything's planned out. But I always dedicate specific hours to time for myself so that I can relax and enjoy and release any of that cognitive stress that's going on. Which is really important too, especially for the sake of, of creativity, right? If, if we're kind of stuck in the noise inside our head, it's, it's hard to be creative, whether it's creating a, you know, a beautiful piece of art in, in the context of imagery or to be creative in the context of maybe a, a new marketing campaign for our business or whatever it might be. But yeah, it's so important to create that space for ourselves so that we have clarity of mind, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And just for the sake of context, too, for our listeners, you mentioned being in school. Are you in, you're in college at this point? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm in, let's see, this is my third year of community college. And what's your, what's your focus? What are you studying? My focus shift here and here and there, but I'm now I'm honed in on engineering. Interesting. Okay. So there's, yeah, a, there's a yeah. kind, of, kind of fascinating dichotomy here between engineering and photography, right? The uh, kind of the right brain versus the left brain conversation, mm -hmm. uh, the, the creative versus the, the logical. Talk to us about that dichotomy. How did they coexist for you? 
Well, I've always been interested in building things. And my dad's he's he's in the industry. Um, so it's in our family. And but I've always loved the the kind of the problem solving aspect of it. Okay. And also the creative aspect of it of bringing an image in my head to into reality. And I think that's partly how I fell in love with photography is it's it's almost that same process is where I have an idea and okay, how do I make it real? You know, how to make it tangible. Ooh, I really like that. And I don't think I've heard that perspective on our on our podcast today. That's I really, really love that that process. So when when it comes to looking at an image, I mean whether you're seeing something say in, in a magazine, I guess we don't look at magazines as much anymore, but a magazine <laughs> or social media we'll say, or in a website or maybe TV screen or a computer screen, you're you're looking at an image and then you're trying to put two and two together and figure out how to actually translate that to your camera and to the images that you're generating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well it's it's like the same thing with, you know, how you how you build a fence. What materials do you need? What do you need to learn? Like how do you how are you supposed to drive the nails in properly? You know, there's a lot to it. Yeah. And it's so satisfying to see that finished product, you know. Oh, it's really true. And, and I like that, that analogy as well. That's really cool. Well, it, the, the significance of a calendar um, has been, it's certainly not understated as of late on the podcast, but I love the consistency and the theme around this conversation, which is very simply to schedule your time proactively. It, it's so easy for, I mean, I, I've heard it so much in the photography industry, the kind of typical you know, cop-out answer many times, I'm busy. And, and the reality is we're probably, mm-hmm. most of us are quite busy. We've got a lot of things going on in our lives. But at the end of the day, a friend of mine actually just texted me this, this very thing today. He said, you know, we, we make time for the things that we actually prioritize that are important to us. And Mm -hmm. so in order to do that proactively, to make sure that we have space not only for our personal life, but for our business, to make sure that we're giving time to the important people in our life, but then also creating uh, on the photographic side and and doing things that are going to actually grow our business, uh, having a little time just for some quiet for ourselves. You alluded to the importance of that. We have to be proactive and, and scheduling um, are weeks. And, and it's very simple. We've got a calendar built in our phone. We need to be proactive in using it. And so I appreciate you bringing that to the light yet again. And, and speaking of free time, how do you like to spend it? What does is, what is your free time look like? My favorite thing to do is to watch movies and to listen to podcasts and uh, just watch YouTube videos. I love watching art. I, I'm not quite so into paintings as much, but I love analyzing pictures and trying to figure out, oh, how do they film that? You know, and that's really why I love watching it is yeah. really, t- you know, the narrative of it and um, the visual, you know, stunning of it. And yeah, I, I like trying to figure out, I li- it's problem solving. It's always problem solving for me. Yeah. But I love how that then translates to something to that that is not necessarily logical, right? That that has emotion innate to it, which is creating artwork or imagery. Uh, but I, I can absolutely relate to you, particularly on the movie front. I'm I'm a little bit of a of a geek or a dork in this regard. I have I have rated um, close to a thousand movies in IMDb. Uh, and that oh. sounds ridiculous. Um, and, and actually, the, I guess the main reason it sounds ridiculous to me is because that then means that I've spent you know a good two to 3,000 hours minimum watching movies in my life. But mm-hmm. I found a lot of, and this is something I, I honestly don't spend as much time doing anymore, but I, I found a lot of inspiration from movies, especially the visual element as you spoke to. And in fact, one of the things that was particularly uh, inspirational for me was the, the the aspect or the element of backlight or rim light that I noticed was used. I mean, you can see it in a, in a sitcom used in, mm-hmm. with studio lighting, or you can see it filmed you know, in a beautiful, beautiful outdoor scene. 
in, in a movie. And, and I found inspiration in that. And kind of like you, it was like, okay, that looks stunning. I want to recreate that in my imagery. And how do I go about doing that? Or I was, I was, I learned to, I guess I learned to better see light by seeing the light in the movies I could kind of translate mm-hmm. to how I was seeing light in my imagery. Do you find similar motivation? Yeah, absolutely. And as being a photographer and learning how to use light to get the look that I want, um, I started noticing things like that. It's like, oh, that's backlight. Or, oh, the light's probably at this angle. It's like, oh, that looks great to get that shadow. And yeah, yeah, it's it's the same thing. Yeah, well, there's there are, and man, I wish I I could uh, remember the names. There's a couple of movies that I that I can picture. I mean, speaking the visual that I can picture right now. Uh, maybe I, we can link to these in the show notes later on that were particularly interesting to me visually. Uh, that I found a lot of inspiration in, but but in general, uh, particularly when it came to lighting, I found it was really helpful to use that as a point of reference and then try to translate to to my artwork. But as far as movies are concerned, do you have a favorite? Like, is there are there a couple that come to mind? Oh man, there is uh, definitely a top ten list. I I don't know I don't know about a favorite. Like, there's some really good draws, and it's it, they're favorites on different scales too. Like favorites visually versus favorites narratively versus what I could relate to mostly. I think probably my most favorite movie right now would be The Revenant. Oh, yes. Incredible. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, you talk about a visual feast of an experience mm-hmm. and, and it kind of holds you on, on your seat almost the whole movie as well. It's, yeah. it's really, really incredible. I actually had the opportunity to go up to Banff, Canada. I don't know. It's been two years or so ago and fly over in a helicopter, fly over one of the the scenes or the areas where they shot the scene, one of the scenes from that movie. Just a stunning experience. But yeah, absolutely. That would be one of the higher rated movies, I think, on my list as well. Is there another one that comes to mind? Yes, but I can't remember the name of it. It was a very intriguing movie and it had Ryan Gosling in it. And it was it had it had something to do with like a, a gang affiliated thing. I don't remember the name, but what's similar to that is uh, this. It's the samurai movie on Netflix, The Outsider. There we go. So that one was intriguing to me, and um, in terms of the narrative yeah. of the story. But yeah, and, and you know what? I think there's something to be said too. You mentioned that word narrative, and it reminds me. I mean, especially when it comes to film, obviously the story is important. The narrative is important. But it's, I think it's important as well for us as photographers, still photographers, to be thinking about the narrative, how we're telling the story of the day with our imagery. And, and so it, there's something to be learned from documentaries or from movies, how a story is told. And, and we can tra- even translate some of those elements to our photography. Um, I did a quick search here. The, the couple of movies that I was thinking about, just that from a visual perspective that were particularly inspirational, one is called To the Wonder. Ben Affleck actually is in this particular movie. And there are maybe, I mean, if you were looking at it in the, the format of a book, there might be a page worth of words that are actually spoken in this movie, but it is a visual feast. It's stunning. The music is gorgeous. So you got to check that out. It, it's kind of, uh, okay. it's an outlier uh, and a little bit unusual, but that's amazing. The other one that I was thinking about um, is Pride and Prejudice, the one with Kira Knightley in it. And oh yes, I have to say it's it's not particularly an exciting movie. I mean, in fact, maybe one of the more boring (laughs) movies that I've seen, but from a visual perspective, I I just remember it being absolutely stunning and it really caught my attention. And Mm -hmm. uh, as I was, again, considering, especially composition, probably light as well. So I'll recommend those to, uh, to those listening in, but let's, let's move on. Let's, I want to hear something kind of random that most people might not know about you. So yes, I've been thinking about 
this question for a little bit, and there's actually quite a few things. What most people don't know about me is uh, actually I've, I've had lots of like near-death experiences, like where I would fall off of cliffs, um, be very close to car accidents, um, mountain lions, house fires. So I have a lot of crazy events like that that uh, <laughs> most people don't know ever happened. So. Yeah, uh, seriously, I mean, I'm, I'm smiling. Mouth is kind of halfway open here as I'm hearing you say these things. Okay, so you say cliffs, like multiple cliffs. Are you regularly near multiple cliffs? Multiple cliffs, yeah. Okay. Um, and, and a mountain lion. I mean, most of us, the, the, the closest we've ever... Multiple mountain lions. Multiple yes. mountain lions. The closest <laughs> yes. we've ever gotten to them would be, you know, like at a zoo maybe. But uh, tell us about one of those experiences. So the first one, um, I was in the middle of nowhere in California. That's where I, I, I lived. We lived way out in the mountains. I was playing outside and I just saw a mountain lion and it was near our house and it was near our shed or I was near the shed. It was about 20, 30 feet away. Wow. And that's about the distance they can pounce. Yes. And I saw that it was getting ready to pounce and I was oh. like, and I ran in the shed and I just, you know, screamed lion, there's a lion. And um, <laughs> my, my dad came running out with a shotgun and uh, it, it didn't pounce. It, it fled actually. And I, I don't know where it went, but we found paw prints of it going around our house. And yeah, so that was the first one. The next one, I was at my grandpa's house uh, up in Port Townsend. Okay. And he also lives in uh, like the middle of nowhere. He lives in a the dense forest area up there. And he has a beautiful property. And I decided to sleep outside that night. And I slept in a meadow. You know, he he told me to bring a whistle. And I was like, nah, I don't need a whistle. He's like, but there's mountain lions out there. <laughs> and I was like, nah, there's no mountain lions. Oh, man. Uh, turns out that there definitely are mountain lions. So luckily, there was a lot of moonlight that, that night. But uh, while I was sleeping there, I was just in a sleeping bag. And um, I heard it, it sounded like a woman was crying and it really freaked me out. And yeah. so I got super alert. And then a few hours later, there's the mountain lion is it's checking me out and I didn't have the whistle on me. And so how close is it to you at this point? It's, it's not as close as the first one. I can definitely see it. The moonlight was pretty bright and wow. it was in the woods. So I'm in the valley and across the way, it's probably maybe half a football field. Okay. And it's on the other side. And so I'm more, more in the middle, but, but I guess bottom middle, I, I don't I'm not quite sure how to explain that. Okay. Um, but about 50 yards away, it's, it's yeah. lit by moonlight. And I mean, this sounds like a, a scene as uh, speaking of movies straight from a movie. So what do you do at this point? I pull out my knife I had and I just was like, all right, uh, I'm just going to wait this out. Wow. <laughs> I, we, I, w- I waited for hours. So I didn't, I didn't want to move and I didn't want to run yeah. to the house yeah. either. The house was another football field away. But yeah. It, it, it was, I think it was just checking me out. It, it, I don't think it wanted to eat me. It probably got enough food that night. Oh my uh, word. What? That, yeah. Mountain lions are honestly one of my favorite animals, period. I, I think the way that they move and the way that they're built, they're, they're so mm-hmm. sleek and lean and muscular uh, they're just stunning to look at, but it it, it becomes yeah. a whole different conversation when it's twenty or thirty feet or even fifty <laughs> yards away. Those exactly. they can move so quickly. They can jump, like you said, so far, and they can turn in midair too. Oh yeah! So well, if you like try and trick them and move right, they'll just whoop. They'll 
I don't know. They use their tail or something. I don't know how they do it. But well, I think we've all seen like a, a house and, cat do something similar. And, and oh, yet, yeah. And yet these yeah. things are, you know, three to 500 pounds. So it, yeah, uh, a little bit different oh. uh, proposition. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, thank you for sharing one of the most interesting, I think, random stories that, that we've heard to date. Um, let, yeah. Let's <laughs> yeah. let's go to, to photography, though, um, because, uh, I mean, that that is at least a good segment of, of what we talk about here, a good portion of what we talk about here at the book of podcast, but you have an interesting story at this stage. You're, you're relatively new to the photo industry. You're kind of working into it. So talk a little bit about that process, um, a little bit about how you got into photography in the first place and what you're doing now to get into business as a photographer. Sure. I started out in photography when I was 14. Um, I started out as a, an assistant to an already established photographer and he uh, was actually introduced to me through my mom he was she he was a friend of hers so I, I started just going and going to his shoots portrait shoots not weddings but uh event work like photo booths and event coverage and at first i was really just watching and learning and just helping him with whatever he needs with like oh with like lighting yeah. or um stuff like that o- over time he started you know talking to me as he was working especially when we had like downtime at photo booths and stuff. And then we would start to meet outside of his actual gigs and uh, I would help him edit photos. Uh, He would teach me how to use his gear. Um, He would start really start mentoring me and he became a a mentor and then he became a really good friend of mine. And um, so I did that for about four years. And last year was the first year that I started doing my own work and getting my own gigs. And so now we're more of um, a business partner relationship where we're helping each other grow. And if, you know, we give each other gigs here and there, if we can't accomplish them. And, and what do you, I mean, what do you foresee your business? I mean, if you at some point break off and do your own thing, I mean, do you have a particular goal as far as the type of brand position you want to establish the type of photography that you want to offer? What does that look like in your mind? Yeah, that's a very good question, and um, I do not have an answer for that at the moment, but there's a reason I don't, and the reason is because I know how difficult it is to change my brand position once you already establish it. Mm. So right now, I am, I'm well, I'm certainly a, a people photographer. I love taking pictures of people. Yeah. That is what I like to do, but I recently got a gig doing real estate photography, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. I love doing this kind of work. And so now I'm like, man, like I'm already kind of a portrait photographer, but I could still go into real estate, you know, and it's and so I'm undecided at, a little bit at the moment. Well, I, I like I yeah. like the point that you make, though, about brand position, because I still don't think that there's enough emphasis in our industry about the significance of a brand position. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. reality, of course, in this day and age, and, and probably not so different from, from years past for that matter, is that the most important element of the business in most cases in the end is the individual, is the photographer, the personality behind the camera, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But when it comes to marketing a business, it is so much easier to do so and to create distinction in someone's mind if you're able to, in really the span of about three seconds, with a simple phrase or a sentence, communicate what your business represents. And and even more importantly, in, in a very specific way, you know, saying I'm a wedding photographer 
I mean, there are plenty of people that say right. that yeah. on, a, on a regular basis, saying I'm a black and white wedding photographer who only works with uh, people who are fans of Marvel comics. Uh, that's, that's, that's getting specific. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and now, but, but now you know who you're going after, you know, the language that you need to speak and, uh, you can design your website and your marketing material, your Facebook ads, whatever it might be specifically for that audience. And it makes it so much mm-hmm. easier to create, um, n- not only interesting conversation with a potential client, but then also to build that business, uh, more efficiently. So I, I love that we talk about this topic a lot on the podcast. I love that you make the point that once you commit to that and you associate that position with your brand, it is a bit tough to commit to it. Mm-hmm. And and so I like that you're taking a little bit of time to consider. I mean, there are so many possibilities. There, this, this idea of a paradox of a choice, you could go so many different directions. At the end of the day, you do have to choose something. Um, but I love that you're exploring that right now. And I'm sure that, uh, that you'll figure out something that works best for you. You said you're a people photographer, and I have to give you major props too, because we've had the opportunity to, uh, to actually chat quite a bit over time. You interviewed me for your podcast, uh, mm-hmm. which I, I want to make sure that we link to in, in our show notes as well. But we've we've had a good bit of conversation and you're, you're a really great conversationalist. You're an interesting person, uh, not only as an individual, but in the way that you talk to people, you, you actually show genuine interest. And that will definitely translate to the experience that you give to your clients. So yeah, major props to you for that. And I'm actually, I, I want to uh, just very quickly kind of uh, make an aside here. Um, you've, you've shared a little bit of your culture and your background, your heritage with me. And I wonder mm-hmm. if you'll share a little bit of that with our listeners and talk about how that affects your perspective as a photographer. Well, that's one of the biggest things that shaped my personality and my interest in other people is so I, I recently com- completed my second vision quest and a vision quest. Well, it's called Amblecha. Okay. And that's that's Lakota and it translates to crying for a vision. Um, it translates to also many different meanings, but the main part of the the ceremony is for boys to become men right um now it now nowadays it's boys and girls to become men and women and so what they do is uh the boys are sent out in in, into the wilderness uh in complete solitude and they fast for four days without food or water or shelter and once you complete that process you now come back into the community as uh, as a new man as uh, a leader and yeah, yeah, that's and so I just completed my second one, um, and there's a lot to it. it. There is a lot to it, and it's really fascinating. You and I have chatted a, a good bit about it. Of course, to give further context for those who aren't catching on at this point, we're talking about Talon's Native American background, and and mm-hmm. what tribe do you come from? Talon, does your family come from? I'm I'm from Lummi Nation, uh, and that's a Coast Salish tribe. Okay, but the the traditions that the this specific tradition is Lakota with the Blackfeet altar. Okay. And you also mentioned to me before um, the heritage that, that both your parents bring to the picture, which I found really, really interesting. Talk about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So what I recently found out was that on my mom's side, she is Powhatan, which is the same tribe as uh, what everyone knows as Pocahontas. Yeah. Turns out I'm a descendant of Pocahontas. <laughs> okay. And on my dad's side, I am a descendant of Chief Sielch, and that's what Seattle, the city, is named after. That's who the person is named after. That's and so amazing. I was like, whoa, like, yeah, wow, you know, uh, that's well, you've and, got a, you've got a lot to live up to there, but that's a, a fascinating backstory. And I'm sure we could yeah. d- dig into it more, but I'm curious, 
talk to us a little bit. You, you said that this has had a significant um, effect on you as a photographer, on your perspective as a photographer. You said mm-hmm. your tendency to be a people person. Talk a little bit about that. Well, while I was out there, um, I learned a lot about myself. And I specifically learned a lot about what I really don't like about myself. And I um, came to a realization that, um, well, really a part of what that ceremony is, is it, we call it going into the night or um, it's about death. Okay. And so I died out there on that hill, but not in a physical sense, in a personality sense. Sure. And so I looked at the things I don't like about myself and I had to let those things go and let those things die so I can become the man I am. I had to let the the boy die, you know, the one who only wants to play video games all day. I had to let that go, right? <laughs> hey, I can so, relate. I'm, I'm almost 40 and I can still relate to that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what I you know I find fascinating about this, uh, and I certainly didn't plan on, on getting into this I guess level of conversation regarding personality. But I think this is important for all of us, myself included, for our listeners. Um, you speak to the idea of kind of dying to self, or letting that mm-hmm. element, that side of you, those parts of you die that you don't want to be a reflection of you. And in our culture these days, it's so easy for people to say. I am, and then just fill in the blank. I am mm-hmm. this person. I am this personality. I am this thing. And, and then they use that, sadly at times, as a cop-out, as kind of an excuse for their behavior versus saying, I want to be fill in the blank. I want to be this person. And then mm-hmm. taking the steps, kind of like you were talking about earlier, it's the idea of problem solving. I'm, gonna, I'm going to figure out what it takes to become this person. These, and for me, it's, it's, I have a set of values that I want to live up to. And so this, the intelligent thing to do is to break down my life and figure out what things, how I need to change my behavior in order to live up to that value set. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're setting a really wonderful example for all of us um, in that not only, not only in your behavior, but ultimately the philosophy um, that drove that behavior. Yeah, yeah. Well, it also gave me a new, a new sense of patience with other people. Because, well, uh, what, so when you think you, what, like, what do you think of? Do you think of hungry you? Do you think of um, watching TV you? You know, like, which you is the real you? Hmm. What I figured is um, but each day the hunger gets worse. Each day the thirst gets worse. Yeah. And so uh, I feel like uh, on that fourth day, I was the most me I've ever been. And so when I now when I'm, like, interacting with let's say like uh, my mom or my dad and they're a bit frustrated and they might be hungry or tired. Um, that's not them. That's tired them, you know, and it, get, it allows me to, you know, be like, okay, you know, this isn't really who they are. Or even with people like at, at weddings and stuff, you know, the intoxication comes into play. You know, that's not really them. Sure. That's just happy, fun wedding time. Right? And, <laughs> Hopefully it's and, happy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And it just gave me, you know, a new sense of patience where I, yes. I don't get as frustrated, you know. I, it, empathy is the word that comes to mind there. Patience, certainly. And um, but when we put ourselves in the shoes of others because of our personal experience, uh, it is uh, we do set ourselves up to be more patient. And, and I think that's a really great perspective that you developed mm-hmm. there. And, and I appreciate you sharing a little bit about that. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Um, let's go back to, to business here for a second. And I know that you've been you've had the opportunity to delve into the photography business world a bit. And I'm curious what the toughest lesson that you've learned uh, has been so far as a photographer. Failure is always around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I've learned. 
what does that mean to you? Because honestly, like at the outset, it it sounds kind of pessimistic, but I don't, I know you're not a pessimistic individual. So what does that mean to you? Um, it means if, um, if I forget to put that on my calendar and, oh, uh, whoops, I'm not going to your wedding today. Uh, take your pictures, you know, like that's that I'm done. And that could seriously hurt my business and my brand. And I may not get another gig again or as a wedding photographer, you know, um, and so it, it's really easy to just let things fall apart, you know, like let, you know, how many, how many things can I do to make this a lot worse? And there's a lot more than there is to make it better, you know, um, so. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, it, it's funny, but it's true, right? So there are, there are a lot of, yeah. first of all, there are a lot of moving parts, uh, in, in a photography business. And so there are potentially a lot of failure points. And I think Mm -hmm. uh, on the one hand, it's a, it's a good reminder for all of us to kind of minimize the number of moving parts. I I talk about this a good bit on the podcast, the idea of uh, the importance of simplicity, which then translates to efficiency. But, but part of why that even matters, at least in the context of this conversation is the fewer moving parts you have in your business, the, the less moving parts that can fail. Right. But certainly there are multiple potential failure po- points and it is absolutely important that we pay close attention to detail. Fortunately, we're, we live in an, in a time now and in an industry that, that gives us access to wonderful tools. I mean, it can be something as simple as the calendar on our phone to, you know, CRMs that, that enable us to be able to more effectively keep the, the, all the details intact and organized regarding our clients and the events and what they've purchased from us and what the next step and, and the tasks associated with that client are. And the list goes on. We, we have the tools at our disposal to be able to do those things. So it's important to keep, uh, to, to stay on top of the details. And yet again, you give us a really, really good reminder. I think that's really great. Speaking of tools, I'm curious what your, Maybe a favorite piece of gear in your gear bag, like a camera body, a lens, an accessory of some kind. What's a favorite that comes to mind? Uh, I think the favorite is the it's the Pro Clip by Peak Design, and I love that thing. I can put it on any camera, and it'll fit on my Manfrotto tripod. It'll fit on uh, the Pro Clip I have. I can clip it onto my chest, my belt, my wherever. That's probably my favorite tool to utilize during photo shoots and stuff like that. And, and you said pro clip. So what, what are you actually clipping on to things? So it's like a the the plate that you put on, like the base plate that you use to mount your camera onto a tripod. It's like that. Okay. But it, it comes with an extra accessory where it's a clip that you can put on your belt or you can put on like, let's say your backpack arm. Or, um, you know, you can get creative with it, too. And your camera can clip onto it like a base plate and it'll just sit right there. It holds, I forget how many pounds of weight. This this is really good. And, and you know, I actually used to use something very similar, also, I think, made by Manfrotto that was uh, a clip and a very heavy one at that. Very, very strong and at very large. So you could mount it to a variety of surfaces. Uh, it mm-hmm. also had rubber, kind of rubber feet on it, so you could actually set it down. You didn't have to clip it onto anything; you could just set it on a surface, and it would it would stay put quite well. But it had a cold shoe on top, so I could put a wireless light, um, like a radio slave, on that cold shoe, and especially like at a at a reception, for example, if I wanted an off camera light, I could mount that to, or even just sit it on top of 
the uh, DJ's speaker that they had sitting at the corner of the dance floor. Oh, nice. And so now I had a, you know, a 45 degree angle um, off camera light that, that worked really, really well to photograph the dance with. But this is really great. We'll make sure to link to this in, in the show notes because on a very practical level, I think this could be helpful to any and everyone. Um, mm-hmm. We'll make sure to link to that in the show notes for sure. And by the way, for those of you listening in, if you don't check out the show notes, make sure you go check them out. I mean, Haley, who kind of oversees our digital marketing and, and edits our podcast for us, she's she's got a lot on her plate, but um, she has just done a beautiful job of putting together uh, the notes associated with and then the resources associated with all these conversations here at the Boca Podcast. Go to B-O-K-E-H, com, and you can see the show notes from this episode today and from all of the... Uh, uh, many of the, the recent episodes as well. There's a lot of de- detailed information, resources, links, et cetera. So make sure you go check that out. So let's let's move on to kind of our focus for today. And I, I want to respect your time too, Talon. But let's talk about, and it's actually speaking of time, not so ironically, the, the topic <laughs> of procrastination. And uh, when you and I chatted about, hey, you know what, what might we have a conversation about on the podcast? You brought up this topic of procrastination and then I found it interesting um, and, and it's especially relevant to the podcast because we talk about the idea of efficiency all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think most any and everyone, certainly myself, I'm, I'll raise both my hands, literally, can relate to this idea of procrastination for one way or another. But where do you think, first of all, just this tendency comes from, especially as photography business owners? Uh, I think it comes from your personality type, specifically one of the big five models um, or one of the big five facets is trait conscientiousness. I think that's probably where it comes from. I'm not sure of any scientific studies on this. Uh, I'm also no expert, but... <laughs> so you said, um, did you say yeah. trait conscientiousness? Yeah. Okay, what, is, what does that mean? Can you break it down a little bit for us? Yeah, uh, trait conscientiousness is, well, it, it breaks into orderliness and industriousness and discipline. And so these are just character describers or descriptors of people. Um, so when you think of someone who is disciplined... And, you know, on time, efficient, um, uh, that's someone who is generally described as conscientious. Oh, okay, um, okay. Yeah. Which is something that hopefully we all exhibit um, at least at some point in time, but then it's also easy to, to put something off. I know personally um, a tendency that I have is something that I'm, uh, I guess fearful of sounds a little bit dramatic, but something that I don't want to face or confront I'll tend to put that thing off and go to the easier task or go to the thing that I enjoy doing more mm, than that thing yes. that, that in many cases needs to be done right away. And of course, the irony of it, I, I remember this was the case when I had my, my photography business and I'd file sales tax. Um, it just, it was, I don't, I was not a fan of filing sales tax very simply. And it would be one of those things that I kind of put off to the last minute. I knew that the 20th was coming up and I'd have to file by then. And I'd put it off to the, you know, the 18th and 19th, maybe even on the 20th on the day that I have to file. And then I'd, and I'd go to file it and I'm, yeah, I'm putting this thing off cause I don't want to deal with it. And, and the beautiful or ironic, or I guess the beautiful irony ultimately, um, or the hilarious irony was that when I actually did it, it only took you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And had I just done it a week before, two weeks before, three weeks before, uh, I could have just had, I could have been done with it. I wouldn't have had to take up the mental space with it. And uh, there was really no reason to be putting it off to make such a big deal about it. Uh, and it sounds ridiculous, but that's, I'm, I'm sure we can all relate in one form or another. We'll put off kind of crazy things, but what is, what is something that, I guess, how has this exhibited itself in your life? Where do you tend to procrastinate? 
Oh man, I procrastinate with school <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. um, school is also my number one priority. And so that's kind of weird for me. Uh, so I would procrastinate with the most recent one is um, the, the scholarship application. It was like the deadline's coming up. Oh, the deadline's, uh, it was June 1st. And so I got the email like three months earlier and I just waited and waited and waited. And I don't know why. I think I was more worried about getting good grades. I think I think my grades were up more on priority than money. <laughs> so I, I got straight A's though. And I did it on the day of, kind of like with uh, yeah. when you filed your taxes. Yep. It turns out I did get the scholarship too. So Oh, congrats. Uh, That's great. Wonder, I mean, wonderful, but I should have done it way earlier, you know? Well, and, and, and it's, yeah. isn't it funny how we, we put those things up? Like, I guess ultimately we make a bigger deal of, of a lot of the stuff that we put off um, than it really is or needs to be. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and then, of course, we push it to the last minute. Then we add, again, the irony of the whole thing is that we add to the stress that's already there. We've created unnecessary stress by building this thing up in our head. And then on top of that, we add to the stress because now we're pushing it to the last minute and then we have to rush to get it done. It also didn't take that long. <laughs> right. For me. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's just let's get really practical here um, and, and talk about maybe a few ways that we can get things, maybe you've experienced this too, you've implemented this in your life, but what are a few ways that we can get things done more consistently and minimize that tendency to procrastinate? The first thing I do, or I did, um, was I analyzed my personality. I I got my personality analyzed, and so I know where I fall on the Big Five model. Um, And when you say the Big Five model, is there there a particular, like a website or something that, that our listeners can go to to learn more about that? I'm not sure about a specific website, but what uh, what I did is I I went to Google Scholar, okay. Google Scholar, as I think it's .com, yeah, maybe, and I just Googled Big Five Personality Traits, and I just started reading studies on it. Okay, I, I I'm not sure about any particular websites, but I I would just I just read just how it how it came about, what it means, um, why it's so accurate, and and why it's so important too. Being five dimensional as you are. That's extremely complicated. And understanding what each of those five dimensions means and how to utilize it better for yourself, like being like, uh, okay, let's see. So if you're high in conscientiousness, you're more likely to be a conservative. Um, And so these things like make, or if you're high in uh, openness and low consciousness, you're more likely to be a liberal. Like these things make up your choices. And also it helps with your work environment. Like if you're low in extroversion, you probably don't want to be working with a bunch of people all the time. You might want to work at home. Or if you're high in extroversion, you probably don't want to work at home. And so these are very important tools to help shape your life and to better fit your personality type. Yeah, you know, and, and again, major props to you for the, the effort and energy, the time that you've put into developing self-awareness, especially being so young. I mean, this, is, this will translate to so much... Uh, positive in your life moving forward personally professionally i think it's so important and and not just the effort to develop self-awareness but what's particularly interesting and again i I find i I respect you very highly for is your willingness to take responsibility for it because Mm. as we said earlier there's a tendency for people to say oh this is who i am you know they may read a, a some some type of book in uh in the psychological realm and learn something about a personality type or personality types and and they're able to give themselves a label and that feels mm-hmm. good, but they kind of stop there. Uh, and the oh, reality yeah. is, 
self-awareness then can lead to behavioral change. Uh, I've mentioned this book a number of times before in the podcast, and we'll link to it in the show notes, but uh, there's a book by Tony Robbins called Reawaken the Giant Within. And it's a kind of a cheesy title, but honestly, one of the most impactful books that that I've read. Uh, And Mm -hmm. one of the, or a couple of the principles that he talks about in that book that have just been so extremely impactful to me. In fact, to the extent that I literally got uh, tattoos representing each of the ideas on my arms in Japanese. Mm. Um, One is belief, and the other is choice. And understanding that that so much of what drives our so-called personality, who we are, what's at the root of that is what we believe uh, or a mm-hmm. series of beliefs. And of course, we're not talking about religion here. We're simply talking about what we, what we believe about something. We mm-hmm. literally exhibit the behavior of belief constantly. You know, I, I believe that this microphone I'm speaking into is going to work, and so I use it. And fortunately, that belief is accurate. Um, you know, yeah. I go sit down on the couch because I believe it's going to hold me up. Fortunately, in most cases, it's, accu- it's an accurate belief. Uh, but in mm-hmm. some cases, we, we also then believe something or a series of things that uh, are not accurate, and, and then we experience the, the results uh, of, of those poor beliefs. And we then have to, at this point, and this is what you're doing, and, and I love this about you, um, you're taking responsibility for the choices that you have the ability to make to change the beliefs um, that are driving your behavior and move in a direction that, it, that more accurately reflects who you want to be. Uh, there's a you know there's a phrase in life uh, that that you hear a lot in life, which is the the notion of finding yourself. And I think, uh, and at least in some ways, it's a bit of a misnomer. You know, there it, it suggests that we're we're looking. Uh, there's this kind of arbitrary idea of who Talon is or who Nathan is, and we're going to go find that thing, uh, as opposed to being proactive in it, which I think you're exhibiting and deciding who you want to be and and living that out, choosing to live that out. And right. that starts with self-awareness. So uh, I know that was a long rant, but um, I, I, I love the emphasis, again, that you're putting on the significance of understanding who you are, developing a certain level of self-awareness, what your tendencies are, because that then acts as a baseline for an ability to be able to change the the um, harmful behavioral patterns. In this case, we're talking about um, procrastination, putting something off. You can change the behavioral patterns that are harmful in nature. And I think it's a right. really powerful principle. Well, that, that that goes directly into the other two ways that help me with uh, my own procrastination, which is to have goals and to really know what you want. And that's, you know, that's hard to find, you know. Um, it's not an easy thing to just know that for certain, right? Um, like when I was going into college, I was like, oh, I know what I want to do. I want to do that. Turns out I don't. Uh, I actually want to be an engineer, right? <laughs> took me a year to fi- figure that out. And yeah. um, so having goals, figure out what you want and, you know, planning for that. But also having, let's say, an anti-goal of where you don't want to be, of you know, and dis- you want to describe that exactly where you don't want to be. And I, I have experience with exactly where I don't want to be in terms of income, um, my own personality, my own feelings, my own, you know, self-esteem, uh, who my friends are, I, you know, because I've been in situations that were really unfortunate and I don't ever want to go there again. So I have, I'm running away from something, but I'm running towards something, but the thing I'm running away from is chasing me at the same time, if that makes sense. So sure. 
that those are those, those are the other things because I I think people you know there is an emphasis on setting goals and trying to complete those goals, but there's not as much emphasis on running away from stuff. You know, which I like a mountain lion. You know, that's important to. <laughs> well, yeah, to, very clearly yeah. knowing what you don't want. And it, but again, I love this. There's it, it starts with self awareness. Hey, this is who. Uh, these are my tendencies, right? But this is who I want to be. So this is these are the changes that I need to make in my life in order to be that person. Now that I know who I want to be, and, and we've talked about this in the podcast before, having a really clear, uh, big what I call a big picture view, uh, a clearly established set of values and goals that then drive uh, that that drive who you want to not only who you want to be, but then ultimately what you want to do in business or the business model that can then help determine how you spend your time day to day because it's easy just to kind of react to the experience which is being a photography business owner right you get emails and phone calls and social media and text messages and uh, images to to edit well hopefully you're outsourcing your images uh, editing of the, your images to photographers edit but but in all seriousness uh, there is you've got album design and accounting work and and so forth there's so much to keep up with and it's easy just to kind of react to that be in the business not on you know working on it not being the manager the ceo that you should be uh, but a lot of that comes from not being clear about what you want personally and then as a result, not having a very clearly established business model, and then the, the day-to-day existence becomes very haphazard in nature. So I'm, I'm glad that you're emphasizing the specificity or emphasizing the importance of specificity when it comes to setting goals, not only for what you want, but what you don't want. Right. And I, I think you worded that, you know, perfectly. Will you will you trans will you translate what the the specificity of goals and the anti goals as, as you shared, um, how that then translates to kind of minimizing the tendency to procrastinate? What does that look like for you? So let's say I am in school and I have a goal at the start of the term. I want straight A's. I want A's in all of my classes. How do I achieve that goal? Well, number one, complete all the homework. Number two, uh, you have to complete the homework uh, and get a good grade on the homework. And so, so you, you, you work it out. And I, I usually write, I write like an essay or so. I love writing. Writing actually is a really good tool on how to do this. It's not just a, a thinking game. And so write it out, figure out all the steps, and then write about what you really don't want to happen and what will happen if, let's say, you don't do the homework. Um, and then make a schedule, you know, dedicate this many hours to homework, this many hours to this, this many hours to video games. And it, it helps to know yourself so that you know what you are capable of. You know, you don't have to immediately strive for, man, I'm going to get all the homework done in one week. You know, you don't have to do that to yourself because you probably won't be able to. So that's why knowing yourself is really important because if you don't know what you're capable of, you won't set the proper goals and you won't be able to really achieve those goals either. Well, I, I think um, there's the, some really practical tips and I love the the simplicity and the innocence of the example too of, of talking about homework uh, and yet it, it's ultimately the, the example that you're representing there is very practical and applicable to all of us, uh, whether we're mm-hmm. you know 50 or 15. Um, it, and it's the importance of, as you said, knowing yourself uh, setting very, very clear goals, both the, the goals and the anti-goals. This is who I want to be, where I want to be, uh, who I don't want to be, where I don't want to be. And and making them, I guess, appealing enough or exciting enough. Something that actually 
it drives emotion. Uh, and, and speaking of that, that book by Tony Robbins, Tony talks about the significance of how emotion drives behavior, emotion drives action. We want to create goals that are big enough that they get us excited. And, and, and then that will help right. create a certain sense of motivation that will drive what we do and, and help minimize the tendency uh, to procrastinate. But to that point, and, and we'll close with this, you, you made a really interesting and a very important point in regards to not only setting goals, but specifically uh, in regards to uh, this idea of procrastination. That is not setting such a big goal that we become overwhelmed by it. Because the moment that we do set too big a goal, maybe something that we're not used to achieving on a regular basis, or something that frankly is just, it, it's, it's a little bit much to try to accomplish in a relatively short amount of time. Um, right. Our tendency, as we've talked about, is going to be to put that thing off because it seems so difficult. Or it seems it feels so overwhelming. Um, creating smaller tasks, and, we, and we've discussed this before in the podcast, the significance of breaking bigger projects into um, more easily accomplished individual tasks that don't seem so overwhelming. Uh, but mm-hmm. setting setting up tasks for ourselves that aren't so overwhelming will enable us to step by step get closer to reaching the bigger goals. And uh, as a result, minimize our tendency to, to procrastinate and ultimately get a lot more done. So I, this has been a really, really practical conversation. I appreciate you sharing your perspective and, and also your, your background, your heritage is absolutely fascinating. I, and to get your perspective to being a newer photographer to the industry, I, I, love, I love that you're, I love the proactivity and your tendency to want to learn and to grow and I love that you're just going for it. So I, I can't uh, encourage you enough to, to keep going for it. We'll make sure to share uh, with our listeners your podcast. We'll link to that in the show notes. Where can they follow you online, about your website or, or social media? Thank you for all of, all of your uh, kind words. And um, yeah, so I, I, you can go to my website. Uh, it's talonpaul.com. Um, and you can also uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's all, just talonpaul. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and also I think I'm on most of the social media sites, Pinterest, and you know whatever you use, uh, I'm probably on it as well. So that's Talon, T-A-L-L-A-N, Paul. And by the way, you mentioned YouTube. You're, uh, you actually have your podcast in video form on your YouTube channel, right? Yeah, yeah. Very cool. And, and uh, I, Talon did interview me, and, and it was really fun, actually. We were talking about this before I hit the record button. It was fun to be on the other side of, of the interviewer's microphone, if you will, and uh, so you can check that out. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. But Talon, thank you so much for making time for the Book of Podcasts today. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks so much for listening to the Book of Podcasts today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. <laughs>